Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. On this special segment of our show, we go into the liberated life interviews. Zen Stoic is a philosophy that aims at creating liberation, but the philosophy itself is not liberation, just like how the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. So on these episodes, we go into the liberated life interviews because we interview people that show us how to live a more liberated life. And this episode is a very special guest. We have Stefano Sifandos. Now, the reason why I invited Stefanos onto the show is because I had a personal breakthrough with Stefanos that was absolutely amazing at a retreat that I was attending. So I had not known Stefanos before, but we got to talk. He walked me through a process that created this tremendous breakthrough for me from a somatic place. So in other words, we were able to release trapped energy that was in my body. And the result of it was that I was actually able to more easily and effortlessly set healthy boundaries in my life, whereas previously I wasn't able to do it to the extent that I am now. And Stefanos was a big catalyst in that work. So I'm truly, truly grateful for the work that Stefanos and I did, and I am absolutely blown away with the conversation that we got to have on this episode. For those of you who don't know Stefanos, here's his bio. So with over 20 years of direct experience in the personal transformation space, Stefanos understands peak performance potential. He is a trained educator and relationship expert with a background in behavioral science. He is passionate about leading people closer to their highest potential and each other. Stefano's philosophy merges the best of Eastern and Western methodologies to promote spiritual balance and empower people in life and love. From trauma release to navigating the at times murky waters of modern masculinity to helping women understand the men in their lives, he helps people escape negative patterns, and cultivate a positive sense of self. Stefanos has also co-founded both a world-class coaching and education institute and global men's empowerment movement, and has been involved in multiple eight- and nine-figure startups. Stefanos has worked with thousands of men and women from all walks of life, special forces soldiers, Olympic gold medalists, elite fighters, and everyday people have relied on him to restructure and reframe their relationships with themselves and their loved ones. So this is a really special episode because we get to explore the mind of Stefanos as he talks through how to actually release things somatically from our nervous system so that we may live a more liberated life. This was an amazing conversation that I was grateful to be a part of, and I know you'll enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Stefanos. Let's get into the show. You know, I guess in the past, the way that I've dealt with challenges is, is well, a couple of ways. I either go really head head into the challenge, mm-hmm. or I um, and or I get really really frustrated, and so I, I see myself. I mean, I'm not as frustrated as I used to be, mm-hmm. but I see myself still getting frustrated and still like not, you know, functioning off like adrenaline and. And anger to mm-hmm. sort of motivate moving forward as opposed mm-hmm. to, all right, let me be a little more calm and let me just connect all the pieces here as opposed to connecting them in, in, in like very abrasive ways. Yes. Which is usually what, what one does to piece things together when you use anger to fuel you in those situations, of right? Of course, right? It's because it's, it's very, it gets, it gets shit done. Mm-hmm. So of course, it, yeah. Because it gets shit done um, and things need to get done, when you're in that sort of survival mode, mm-hmm. it's all about well, what I need to do to get out of survival yeah. mode. And What's so the that, result that will solve this? Yeah, and so the fuel behind that for me, commonly, mm-hmm. what I'm a what my body is accustomed to is, is anger, mm-hmm. or just frustration, right? Frustration yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I I find the opposite with me. Frustration actually slows me down. Like <laughs> it, it, like it, it kind of 
buries me in my stuff. Yeah. And sometimes anger will do it to, to mm-hmm. get things done and to get out of that, to piece things together. But I've always found that it hasn't been sustainable for me, at least. It's not sustainable for me. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's interesting. What, what's your view on seeing these things in your external reality and the reflection that the internal world might be having on that? Shame. Shame. <laughs> yeah. So it's guilt and shame. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm back here again. Like, why am I getting frustrated? Mm. Why am I getting angry? Why am I getting upset? Why am I not? Why am I not being different? Why have I not evolved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, I have. I know I have. But there's parts of me that just think. So th- everything that's happening in the external world mm-hmm. is not working the way that I think it needs to work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least some of it isn't working mm-hmm. the way that I, that I want it to work. And then my internal response or reaction rather is the frustration the anger what we spoke about not always but commonly and so that fuels me and just to add something side note that also dampens me as well sometimes mm-hmm. where the frustration the anger overwhelms me and it debilitates me in taking action and i be, and i rebel mm-hmm. this is part of the internal process i yes. start rebelling so i'm like no nah, i don't want to do this i don't want to do that i don't want to take responsibility of that i don't want, i just want to check out mm-hmm. so in the past i would have checked out with uh, food sex a travel adventure adrenaline you know mm-hmm. like very mindlessly and unconsciously yes now i still check out using vices so to speak i may emotionally eat or i may use exercise as a crux and so i, I really exhaust myself in that to sort mm-hmm. of burn that energy mm-hmm. but i'm still distracting myself away from my responsibilities yes right? the things that i've chosen that i want to do as a, a as a side note but so that that internal that internal thing is that now that I'm not getting it right, mm-hmm. that I'm doing the thing that I should be doing as a father, as a husband, as a man, as a human being, whatever, as someone that's evolved, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is shame. Mm-hmm. I feel shame about that. So that's the internal process. Now, again, in the past, I haven't been able to temper that shame. And so I have to go into immense, extreme, intense avoidance. Yes. Again, all the, all the cruxes, the addictions, whatever. Now I'm able to sit with it a little longer and, and sort of transmute it and be with it and work with it and breathe with it and understand it and connect to that part of me that is feeling resistance or withdrawing or feeling hurt or feeling shame. But I don't always get it straight away. And so there's sometimes there are pockets and micro uh, microcosms of um, retraction mm-hmm. and microcosms of leaning into addictions. You know, it could even be... Um, I just want to watch movies all night or all day mm-hmm. or something, you know, where I'm just, it's, I'm, I'm completely distracted from what's happening in my physical reality. Yeah. I have a term for that. I like to call it emotional debt. And it gets <laughs> stored up in the nervous system and we carry it. And that's why your work I think is so valuable, especially with the somatic release that you do because it gets stuck in us beyond what we can verbally recall or even consciously remember like, this is why I'm feeling this way. And we try to defer that emotional debt over and over and over again with those distractions. So I think it's really interesting that you also work with the somatic release techniques, which is how you and I kind of got to this podcast in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. I had this massive breakthrough with you at a retreat that you took me through this process. How and why did you get into that type of work? I think largely because of all the things that we've been speaking to thus far, you mm-hmm. know, you know, for example, my anger, my frustration, my shame, it's, it's, it's been born from somewhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's been born from hardship. It's been born from, and I'm not saying I'm the only one that's experienced hardship in any capacity, mm-hmm. but it was born from living a life where I wasn't connected to myself, where I was really struggling, where 
life was really, really difficult. I didn't feel safe in my environment. I didn't feel safe with my parents. I didn't feel safe with people in my life. There was there was bullying. There was violence. There was uh, animosity. There was volatility. There was just mm-hmm. so much unknown and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so what I discovered as a result of moving through so much of this as a child, as a teenager, and as, even as an adult, and a lot of it being self-inflicted as an adult because I was unable, unwilling, and too scared to actually address my trauma and address mm-hmm. this stuff. And I'd done so much talk therapy. And, and, and just as again, as another side note, I don't have any negative connotations towards talk therapy. I think it's actually a valuable part of our healing journey. In fact, mm-hmm. science can demonstrate this, that physiologically for us to actually move beyond our stories or beyond our interpretation of self, we do need to be able to reframe the way that we've seen certain events. There has to be a sequence in that and a big part of that healing process is somatic release, is releasing the trauma through the body. And so until I really started pairing all the talk therapy that I was doing and the reconstruction of self and the reconstruction of my previous stories and my history and my past, until I really integrated somatic work in that, I I, I felt empty. I didn't feel whole. Mm. And that was what gave me greater completion. That's what gave me greater expansion, healing into myself. And so that's why I'm able to now not allow my frustrations to fester forever, basically, mm-hmm. for, for weeks and months and years. It may only be hours and days. Um, and then <laughs> the frustrations keep coming back. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm able to work with them with greater integrity, with greater humility, with more compassion, with more empathy towards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if it does, if I do allow it to be a runaway train, I can be nicer to myself during that process as well. Because in the past, if I allowed it to be a runaway train, mm-hmm. I'd just be harder on myself, which would make the train run away further. Yeah. <laughs> and faster. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, charging yeah. your self-interest on that emotional debt, <laughs> the way, the way that I would typically put it with a client, because you're being, you're finding a new way to beat yourself up, a new way to shame yourself by asking yourself the question, haven't I already dealt with this? Why am I dealing with this again? Yeah. And it's it's really interesting the way that you've said it, how talk therapy gives us that ability to reframe our experience, but then getting even deeper to beyond where our language can take us can really create that release so that you're able to actually genuinely be kinder to yourself in these moments. Yeah. For many of us, not all of us, and, and the reframing process is very important, but the reframing process, I believe and so does the, the coaching institute that that I co-own with uh, three other amazing human beings, we're of the belief um, that that reframing process has to be in a, in a very certain sequence mm-hmm. and it has to be in a timely manner. And so with that said, the 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 retelling of, of stories for me without that somatic integration or release, I really felt lost mm-hmm. and, and I and I would I would spiral. Mm-hmm. I would spiral. And for most of us, or I shouldn't say most of us, for some of us, mm-hmm. much of the experience and many of the experiences that we have as adults or as teenagers, or, or let's just say post-language, right? Post-linguistic adaptation um, that are traumatic. So it could be molestation, it could be physical violence, it could be bullying, it could be a bad breakup, whatever it may be. What actually feeds and amplifies the intensity of that situation or rather the intensity of the way that we interpret it is at times experiences that we've had pre-language mm. that have in the womb even yeah, or before we've been able to, uh, pre-verbalization I should say. Yes. Right, and so dealing with that somatically in the unconscious self, for lack of a better term, can be deeply rewarding and healing to actually, it's almost like, my, this is what my wife says, 
is, and I, I can't remember if I gave you this example, but you imagine there's a thin gold chain mm-hmm. in your drawer mm-hmm. and you're clearing out your drawer and you get the gold chain and it's full of knots mm-hmm. and you're trying to unknot the chain, but you just can't do it. But then you get that one knot that all the other knots just undo. Mm. So trauma almost is like that. There's, there are core wounds that we experience in various capacities. And when we unravel those core wounds, all the other wounds that followed it, they become so much easier to deal with and yeah. to be with. Yeah. Most definitely. I, I love that you brought that up with the unconscious self and how some of these experiences can be imprinted on that unconscious self, especially like in times in the womb. One of our mutual friends, Michelle Dillard, recent Michelle Dillard, <laughs> as they just got married, did an amazing job officiating, by the way. I Thank love you. that. <laughs> but she was a coach of mine um, mm. in the beginning of this year. And we did a process. We did some timeline therapy, which I do with my clients and I teach them as well. And when we did guilt, we were releasing the negative emotion of guilt. We realized that it occurred month three in the womb. And what I didn't realize is that it actually filtered my entire personality in the way that I approached everything. Because the belief that I had come up with from that was that I am getting to live a life at the cost of my mother's because she only lived for seven years after I was born. Mm. So it was in that moment that on some level, I knew that she wasn't going to be around very much. So I lived a lot of my life pleasing people, a lot of my life thinking that I needed to do something to deserve to be here. And because of the work that her and I did together, I was able to release that. So I'm a huge advocate of that type of work, of going to the unconscious, because a lot of the time, we don't even know consciously where some of this stuff is coming from. So that was actually even part of our mm-hmm. our work together. Mm-hmm. That, that retreat was you know, the, the things that had come up for me with my mother. And that was just the the beginning of that work that I started to release that. That's really big, man. It's interesting. You said at three months, at three months, my understanding is that at three months in the womb is when our nervous system starts to form in a more mm-hmm. profound way as well. And so, you know, that guilt or mm-hmm. whatever is being absorbed is really embedding itself in, mm-hmm. in your being at that, at that early stage of your development. Yeah. And it, it was big because the moment I released that, I started being genuine, mm. sincere. If I mm. didn't like something, I didn't pretend to like it just mm. to make everyone else happy. Mm. <laughs> I was actually saying what was on my mind. Mm. wasn't being a dick, sure. but I was being sincere with my needs, with my emotions that I would feel. I wouldn't tell somebody that I was doing good when I wasn't. <laughs> and as a result, I felt a lot freer within myself because I noticed that the masking of those emotions, the telling somebody that I feel okay or I feel good when I don't, was actually just ma- was perpetuating those feelings more and more. And so I, I even appreciate it today when you and I interacted, you told me exactly how you were feeling. You didn't sugarcoat a thing. And so I, I think that's really beautiful because in being sincere with one another, it gives permission for others to, to do the same. Yeah. I think permission and growth as well, right? So for example, mm-hmm. let's just assume for a moment in that instance, when you said, Hey man, how are you? And I said, uh, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was a very true response. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm in excitement of just being alive and, mm-hmm. and actually sleeping last night because yeah. <laughs> my, my wife, Christine, Christine was sort of on duty, um, air conditioning duty. Uh, it will ever end anyway. Um, and I was also just frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so, and I just, too much information, but I just got off a call with someone who was just speaking so much and he could have told me what he needed to tell me in five minutes. <laughs> I, needed, <laughs> I needed to let him speak because it was a business conversation. Anyway, that irrelevant. But what I was saying was that 
in in those moments of of sharing and I, and there's yes it's permission for other people to do the same and it's also growth opportunity so let's assume that mm. in that moment you were still stuck in your people pleaser pattern mm-hmm. right or you were yeah let's just use that you're stuck in your people pleaser pattern and i said to you instead of saying yeah i'm good or i'm great or i'm excited about this podcast i just shared yeah i'm okay and i'm really frustrated and all of a sudden the growth opportunities, if you're in that pattern, is to not be in that pattern. Because I'm in my truth, you may think and feel, oh, I need to make sure that he's okay now. Mm-hmm. I've got to make sure that he's okay. Because the people piece of pattern is all about making sure everyone else is okay, mm-hmm. right? At the expense of self. Yes. Right? It's maximizing others and minimizing self. And so the opportunity for you in that moment, if you were hypothetically in that pattern, would to not succumb to that pattern, mm-hmm. to not need to make me okay, and to maybe just practice or oh, tell me more. Get, mm-hmm. practice curiosity or I'm sorry to hear that mm-hmm. practice compassion mm-hmm. and know that and, and also the other opportunity is for you to go within and say I'm okay just because he's not okay doesn't mean that I'm not okay Yes, doesn't mean that I can't be okay mm-hmm. so there's a beautiful opportunity that we have when we're in our truth that is beyond just permission and it's definitely a, that's a big part of it but it's also the growth and that's my I guess existential philosophical assessment of our existence of our yeah, of our I consciousness like that we're going here. <laughs> yeah of our consciousness is that i think one of the reasons where we could argue that we're not accelerating consciousness in the way that we could mm-hmm. and this is a an internal feeling it's an yes. intuition and i'm not saying that we're not accelerating i believe we are but in the way that we could is because we're so scared of being truthful because mm. we're so scared of being seen, we're scared of being rejected, humiliated, we're carrying on to core wounds, trauma we haven't, it's undealt with, unresolved trauma. There are many reasons why we're not being truthful, but in not being truthful, we are actually limiting our capacity to expand consciousness because we're not providing multiple or, or amplified growth opportunities mm-hmm. because we're all trying to please each other at some level. We're all people pleasers at some level. We're all trying to make sure everyone else is okay. And in doing so, we're not refining, we're withdrawing and we're limiting our expression. Yes. And we're, we're wearing so many masks just to make sure everything fits in this perfect world. It can't be perfect and it shouldn't be perfect. It needs to be messy because it's from the messy that we can repair. We lack that in our society so much. That's, I mean, that's just my perspective. On I like that perspective a lot, I, especially because it is what is natural and authentic to as a byproduct of free will. If we are truly living a reality of free will, it's going to be messy because we're going to try things and we're going to say things and do things that are not necessarily perfect or flawless. And it is my belief, and it has been for a while, that our true perfection exists in all of those perceived imperfections, that that is where mm. we find that. And that's where we are just real with one another. What, for what reason do you think it is that people are so afraid of being truthful with themselves? The, the, we're afraid to be hurt again because we haven't dealt with the hurt that was once inflicted upon us or that we experienced or that we interpreted in our world, in our nervous systems, externally, internally. Mm-hmm. And so everything is an avoidance of that. Essentially, like if I was to generalize it, Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to just put a, a broad brush stroke, paintbrush over it, it's we just don't want to feel that pain again. We don't want to feel that discomfort again, that that trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do everything we can to avoid that. And more often than not, it's not being in our truth because 
when we were hurt, it was when we were being truthful, just when we were being ourselves. And so that comes with tremendous risk, mm. uh, emotional, spiritual risk, internal relational risk. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to take those risks again. So we wear the masks. We're not being completely truthful. It's easier to hurt a mask mm -hmm. or to hurt a part of us that really isn't us. And at some level we know it than it is to, to hurt the authentic us or the genuine us or the real us. That's right. Yeah, it makes sense. And it also sounds like to a degree that when something triggers us in our environment or a person says something that triggers us emotionally, that we're not actually responding to what's happening in the present. We're responding to something that happened before. Correct. So we're, we're not traveling. living here. Nope, we're time traveling. Exactly mm. right. And very similar to you know, the, the way that you use timeline therapy through neuro-linguistic programming is, is a very, very similar way in the way that our brains work with respect to trauma or the way that our bodies work. We, The moment that we see something in our environment or sense something in our environment that is familiar or associated with um, environmentally through our senses um, with one of the traumas that we experience, we become hypervigilant. So for example, for example, this beautiful jacket that you're wearing, I like it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if let's just say when I was a child, um, my father was wearing a very similar jacket to that. Mm -hmm. and he 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 beat me or he he took that jacket from his closet and tried to choke me or something like that. I'm using an extreme example mm -hmm. here, right? But the association that I may make is that anyone that wears that jacket, I need to be hypervigilant. I need to be on my toes. I need to be aware. I need to keep myself safe. Mm -hmm. You haven't done anything to me, but I may now have an aversion to you. because, And it could be, this could be completely implicit. Like mm -hmm. I've got no idea this is happening. The, the, the associations that I'm making, all I know is that I get a bad feeling about you mm -hmm. and I don't want you near me. But it's not necessarily because you've done anything or because of who you are, but it's just that reminds me of something. Now here's where the, the, the complementary trauma plays out, which is really interesting. Let's just say that's, that's, that's a scenario, right? Mm -hmm. And you can apply this to any... Any scenario, you know, if, if you, let's say you, you're in a car, you're just, just before a car accident, you're eating an egg salad and you're in the passenger seat and you smell eggs and boom, car accident. You may have an aversion towards eggs and you may, you don't even know why mm. they're in, they're in after that point, right? I'm yeah. just giving you an example. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm, I'm unconsciously sending you sign signals that I don't want you in my space. Mm -hmm. You, through your enteric system, through our connection here, through, through your nervous system, being out in the world and absorbing information is going, why is this person, what did I do? Like, what's, why is this person being strange towards me? Why is Steph acting that way? Mm -hmm. Why is he pushing me away energetically? You may, you may not be thinking that, but you may be feeling that. Mm -hmm. Now, now then you start to shut down. Is he rejecting me? Have I done something wrong? Let's just use the people pleaser example again. Pull that thread. Well, now you're going to make sure that I'm okay. Now you're going to contort yourself to behave and be in a particular way that wouldn't you normally wouldn't do because you're feeling me pull away. Now, all of a sudden, my trauma's out. Your trauma is out and we're interacting through trauma, mm. unresolved trauma, unconscious trauma. Yeah. That I think happens on a daily basis for most of us. Mm. And until we really seek, we go deep within ourselves and we address our core observations of the world. That includes trauma, that includes belief systems, that includes aspirations, that includes values, that includes um, the way that we theme ourselves throughout through our lives. So in other words, what we're attracted to, what we repel, what we're repelled by. Until we really go deeper into our own selves, we're, we're acting from that quote-unquote unconscious place. Now, there's, there's an argument that could say free will doesn't exist. Mm. Free will is non-existent because si simply the choices that we make are a byproduct of every moment before us. And it's our body interpreting things in a certain way, interpreting life and environment in a certain way that is making decisions for us, bringing us towards something because it's safe, pulling us towards something else because it feels unsafe. Mm -hmm. But when we start addressing those 
the, the core wounds that we've experienced or the, the sense of I'm not safe in the world, we can maybe start to empower ourselves or even the way that our body brain functions is less vigilant. That opens us up to being more truthful, to feeling safer in the world, to being more confident to say, you would say to me, hey man, I'm sensing that you're pulling away from me if I've done something. Because mm. <laughs> you're less concerned about offending me and more concerned about a repair in the relationship or just getting to the, the quote unquote truth. Yes. Which we struggle with. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting approach because what I was going to ask you is that if somebody is listening to this and they're kind of becoming aware of their own traumas or the way that they might be interacting with people in their lives, people that they like, and they're thinking to themselves going into these old patterns like, oh, why are they being like this? What could they do instead of responding in that way? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would actually start with uh, before you even get to that point, mm -hmm. what, are you, what work are you doing on yourself before that? So, mm -hmm. for example, right, healing is a, a journey of solitude, but it's also a collective healing. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment. I've got a few audio books and books that I sort of read at the same time. One of them is Great Mythologies of the World. And it was very interesting. Um, I'm up to a point where the gentleman is speaking to some Native uh, American cultures, very specifically to grief. And so grief at some level um, is usually, not always, but usually um, instigated by a trauma of some sort. So if a loved one passes, um, we use death as an example. So a loved one dies, physically dies, and there's a sadness with that. And that can be considered a traumatic event. Yes, it's a natural part of life, but it's mm -hmm. also a traumatic event, right? The way that nervous system interprets that can be very heavy and intense. Mm -hmm. And so what this gentleman was saying was that many cultures from, from this region – the what is currently known as the United States of America now and Canada and so forth, they would go through grieving processes where you had to grieve as a collective. You had to grieve in the presence of others. I'm going somewhere with this mm -hmm. as well. And generally in a very short period of time, right, nine hours, you grieve and you grieve well because otherwise if you grieve extensively, which which is interestingly enough, it goes against Western conception of grief to some extent, which is grief for as long as you need to. And I believe that there's an element of that, but grieving in groups, grieving in, in trusted, respected, safe groups of people accelerates our grief or accelerates our healing, so mm -hmm. to speak, right? So when you ask that question, what came to me was, can you begin to heal? Can an individual begin to heal and allow themselves to be witnessed and seen in safe spaces? Mm -hmm. So when they get to an uncomfortable situation, they've created so much safety in their own bodies because they've been a witness to that. It's been reflected back to them. They've been seen with non-judgment and compassion over periods of time. And so your nervous system has been exposed to that. When you are exposed to an intimate environment, maybe just a one-on-one -on -one situation where that person is behaving in a way that is uncomfortable to you, instead of retracting or going back into your old patterns mm -hmm. of survival, you will lean in and get curious. And curiosity can only exist when there is safety. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, you hear, you hear this, 80% prep, 20% execution. Sporting teams play once a week for a few months a year, right? But how much training they do? Twice a day, three times a day? Mm -hmm. On, in season, off season? That's consistently. Right. So the preparation for that, for the uncomfortable situation, really matters. And what I'm saying is what's very useful is healing in the presence of the safety of others. And safety becomes the healing. 
Yes. It's a long-winded way of answering your question. Yeah, <laughs> it's a perfect answer because now actually a lot of what I experienced with you at the retreat makes a lot of sense, right? I got to have this experience of this somatic release where I went into, for lack of a better term, a rage in front of a group of other men and had never done that in my life before. Maybe maybe when I was a child, <laughs> not, mm. not remembering, maybe from a tantrum, but doing it as an adult in front of other men who were seeing me and holding a safe environment, allowing me to experience And not judging you. And not judging me, right? Totally embracing what I was experiencing. What's fascinating about that is that it became very easy to draw boundaries following that experience. Like, incredibly easy. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. And, and I would say everything you've done up to that point allowed you to then draw boundaries very easily after that. Because yeah. let's just assume that was your first experience of going deep within yourself. Mm-hmm. It probably would have taken more experiences, different experiences for you to then, you know, draw those boundaries. I think that was a catalyst for you or, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the icing on the cake or the mm-hmm. cherry on the pie or whatever yeah. it is, right? Because you've done so much deeper work on yourself. Am mm-hmm. I correct in saying That's that? Correct. Yeah, you've yeah. been on this path for years, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that counts and all of that matters. All mm-hmm. of that compound. That's you putting money in the bank. That's you saving, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, years later, it's like, oh, I've got a few million dollars here. I didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's what it is. You, you, it's your emotional bank. That you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, the healing that you're doing along the way that allowed that experience to come to fruition for you to so easily say, yes, let's do this. And then for you to go, wow, and allow your body to evolve, mm-hmm. essentially. You allow your whole being to evolve and then say, I'm making changes in my life now. Mm-hmm. To a testament to you is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful experience. And definitely one that I'll always remember because of what it did for me and how it reframed the way that I even see being emotional around other men. Mm. I didn't have, going into that, I didn't necessarily have a belief that I shouldn't be emotional around other men, but it wasn't exactly an easy go-to, mm. right? Especially a lot of my background is in stoicism, right? Mm. I've studied stoicism for a long time. This podcast is the Zen stoic path. Mm. There's a reason why I added Zen to the mix. <laughs> like and it. it's to bring the humanity into the philosophical idealism that stoicism can sometimes mm. trail off into. And so what, what do you feel like prevents people from essentially normalizing doing these processes like grief in a collective? Mm. What do you think gets in the way and what could people maybe do instead? I think shame gets in the way, the way that our culture deals with sex, sexuality, grief, mm-hmm. pain, big emotions, sadness, mm-hmm. uh, mental um, disequilibration, did I say that right? Like, uh, mental disharmony. Mm-hmm. In other words, if someone is appearing to be out of their mind, or let's put them in a mental asylum, or let's put them in jail, mm-hmm. or let's isolate them. There's not, there's not, an, there's not an embrace for difference. At, at a level, right? We, we see that in all the isms that we experience in our mm-hmm. world, right? And the, and the division that we experience in our world as well. And so, you know, I think it's important that we're able to see beyond that. Yeah, seeing beyond, and seeing beyond that is difficult because mm-hmm. we struggle to see ourselves mm-hmm. because of that shame. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we were told, oh, you're not enough or you're too much mm-hmm. or you're not good enough or you're doing it wrong. And we, when we're told that enough times, that and everything else, or we're abused. And mm-hmm. so we interpret that as, well, I'm not worthy. If I'm being abused, I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we experience events like that and experiences like that enough, we formulate these ideals and beliefs of who we are, which really stops us from expressing ourselves fully mm-hmm. because we're so scared to be seen. That's right. And we don't create environments for ourselves and 
we don't we're not welcomed generally speaking into environments where 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 someone genuinely says all of you is welcome. So if you're angry, bring bring your anger. Now, of course, if if you're physically attacking someone, that the, you've got to set healthy boundaries around mm-hmm. that. But we're talking about expression of that individual that's been pent up and is just being expressed in the world. And you as an individual or a group of people are holding space for that, meaning you're not bringing your own triggers and your own pain into that. You're not taking offense to that person Mm -hmm. being sad or angry or whatever expression they're going through. And you're not shaming that person. You're not judging them for that. You're understanding that there's some stuff that has been locked up in the closet or in the basement for a very long time and it needs to come out and air out. And you can see beyond the intensity of that emotional expression but the only way to be able to do that is for us ourselves to be able to go through that yeah us ourselves to be able to experience a new way of being in the world that is non-judgmental and is extreme and intense and there's no repercussions for that again not not saying you harm other people i'm not saying you project your anger Mm -hmm. and your violence onto someone else that's why rage rooms are a great tool Mm -hmm. for releasing (laughs) big emotion right intense emotion so I think I think that answers your question. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. you know it, it definitely does, and it reminds me. Uh, one of the books that I've been reading lately, I just finished it, is Nonviolent Communication, and that one I thought was really fascinating because what it showed me is that most of the time when people are communicating and they're using value judgments or they're using criticisms, what they're actually communicating are unexpressed needs, and they might think to themselves that they're expressing their emotions, but they're not actually feeling anything. They're just saying their value judgment. They might be saying something like, you never listen to me, or I feel like you don't understand me. It's not a feeling necessarily, and there's an emotion behind that. And being that we won't even go there because we'll use value judgments or criticisms to protect ourselves, Mm. I find that that has been difficult for me in the past. And once I started saying, I feel this emotion, or like maybe I feel confusion, or maybe I feel stressed, or maybe I feel scared, and this is what I need. That has transformed communication, not just for myself, but for the people that I, I get to coach. Mm. Having that ability to express emotion and needs to somebody as vulnerability has allowed a lot of my clients to be able to have much more fruitful conversations with those that they've had difficulty with in the past. So I find that to be extremely useful to be able to say that. And the other thing that this also reminded me of is I'm a big fan of Alan Watts. And he had... Uh, when he was talking about Carl Jung one time, uh, it was this was after Carl Jung had died and he was talking about a conversation that he had. And he was saying that one of the reasons why Carl Jung was so good at what he did is not because of how wise and creative he was, but it was because that when he was sitting across from one of his patients, there was this twinkle in his eye that reminded you that he knew that no matter how much he achieved in his life, that he was somewhat of a rascal no matter what. And he accepted that it within himself so he could accept it within others. And Alan Watts called that the trait of irreducible rascality. And that if we can, we can accept that. Wants. Yeah. <laughs> if we can accept that in ourselves, we can accept it more easily in others. Typically when other people Agreed. trigger us, it's something we haven't dealt with ourselves. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing, man. It's over. And I'm, I'm quite unquote guilty of this. Mm-hmm. If, if someone behaves in a way that upsets me or reminds me consciously or unconsciously of hardship or heartache or difficulty that I've experienced, I'll often still to this day, it's, it's, it's definitely minimized and it's definitely tempered, but still to this day, I will go to being very defensive and very aggressive and very abrasive and mm. using my intellect to 
uh, talk down to them or my physical strength or whatever it may be, right? Like there's mm-hmm. there's the energy of that at least. There's mm-hmm. the energy of that circulating through me because I feel so threatened. Mm-hmm. And so what it reveals to me is that whilst I've come a very long way in dealing with so much of my trauma, there's just happens to still be more there. Mm-hmm. And accepting that for me has actually been one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life. And it's not just, oh, I accept it and then, you know, set and forget. Unfortunately for me, at least, it's not exactly that. It's It needs to be a constant reminder in the moment, in the mm-hmm. moment of feeling my adrenaline spike or feeling myself be agitated or hyper-defensive. It's slowing down and regulating in those moments and reminding myself of how far I've come, reminding myself this is a beautiful protective part of me. You know, you know I'm, I'm adept in, in parts work and parts therapy, internal family systems and so forth. So I lean into those tools as an example to work with that part of me that is really feeling threatened right now. Mm-hmm. And I'll do my best. I don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. I, and sometimes I, 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 I can hear it in my tone. I, I sense it in my body that I'm, I've gone over the line, over the line, my line, my own mm-hmm. line, and maybe even over that person's line. I don't know, but my line, I've crossed over where I haven't been regulated. And so can I meet myself with compassion, acceptance and non-judgment? Honestly, man, you know, people often ask me, what is the, some of the greatest gifts that you've received? And mm-hmm. it's compassion, non-judgment from other human beings, which has helped me be that for myself. Yeah, It's honestly one of the biggest gifts that I've ever received. And it's a work in progress for me, at least. It's still a work in progress. Yeah. And I, the fact that someone like yourself who works with the people that you do, you have the content that you put out there regarding relationships and trauma for you to be able to say, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, for you to be able to say, I still deal with my traumas and that's okay. That's huge for, for anybody listening. Because I feel like sometimes we can be looking at people that we look up to, teachers, coaches, mentors, and thinking to, to, to ourselves that they got it all together. And that, I, in my past at least, has been one of the most disempowering patterns that I've had is looking up to my mentors and thinking that they were perfect, that they had dealt with everything, and then looking at myself and going, what's wrong with me? Mm. And so I think it, it's huge, and I, and I honor you for, for saying that here okay. because it helps me, it helps anybody listening, especially for whoever's on the path of their own healing. And so I'm curious... All this work, how did this lead towards the context of life of relationships? Because I noticed that that's where a lot of your your work mm-hmm. is done, and that seems to be an area of of passion for you. What what brought you there? Yeah, I think you know, I remember Dr. John Demartini, and I, I say this often. I heard him say I was in one of his seminars once, and I heard him say, you know, our voids become our values, and relationships were very unsafe for me growing up, mm-hmm. and very difficult with my parents with with my grandparents difficult in the sense with my grandparents and my extended family my uncles my aunties my cousins was that i i missed them so much and i was pulled from you know my parents made decisions to be in one country then another country and then and so it was it was it was challenging and i felt i felt pulled and then the volatility growing up in my immediate family dynamic so relationships were just very hard and so naturally i gravitated towards how do I refine intimacy? How do I, you know, uh, <laughs> make intimacy great again? I was thinking Donald Trump, you know, <laughs> make intimacy I great again. I'm oh, getting the so hat. I'm like, man, get that. That's pretty good. I like that. We might get a hat know as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's good. Making intimacy. I had a chuckle to myself before I said it because I thought of it. Um, making intimacy great again, which is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and, and then I, I realized that how important our relationships are. Mm-hmm equality relationships mm-hmm. or any relationships and what we can learn and grow from them and how, how how much of a teacher they are. Yes. 
and how much they show us about ourselves, you know, the mirrors and the reflections that they are for us, especially being in an intimate um, sacred union or uh, an intimate relationship, a romantic a sexual relationship with someone, and then even having a child, mm-hmm. which I'm a very new father, mm-hmm. which is just, it's, it's blowing me away in, in all the ways across the spectrum in, in really difficult ways and, and really profound, enlightening ways. Um, that are just opening my heart in ways I've never it's never been opened before. And so that's me in relationship to my daughter. That's me in relationship to my wife. That's me in relationship to myself. And so I, I just, I figured along the way with, yes, all my study, all my research and all my direct experience and my reflection, my deliberate reflection upon my direct experience, that relationships are really fucking important. Yeah. And we can either be purposeful and proactive and deliberate with our relationships or we can be reactive and be a victim to our relationships and be someone that just is a passerby. And I didn't want to be that because I was so disempowered as a kid. So I wanted to be empowered. And so I wanted to prioritize relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. And so much of the, the the content I create or the things that I speak to are me still working through stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm also I've also been studying this for 22 years. Yeah. You know, you're talking about timeline therapy and NLP. I did NLP about 18 years ago wow. when it wasn't very popular. Yeah. You know, so like <laughs> before I, I cool. studied it. Yeah, yeah, before it was cool. Right? So <laughs> so I literally I was 22. So I'm 40 now. So it's it's I've been in this space for a really long time. And Victor, it feels like I, I've hardly touched the surface. Mm. You know, like I could say, yeah, I've been in this space for two decades, deliberately. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I've been in here for a few months. Yeah. There's so much to learn. And I can't remember who said this. I think it was Socrates or, or Plato, like the, the, you know, the moment that we, th- and I'm bastardizing the phrase, but the moment we think we know everything is the moment we know nothing. That's right. Maybe it's exactly <laughs> like that. I don't know. But you, you, you get the gist though, <laughs> right? And so I don't claim to know everything about relationships. I am still, you know, to be completely transparent, having a child, again, it's a paradox, man. Life is a paradox. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most beautiful, profound experiences I've ever witnessed and been a part of, and it is is one of the most challenging. Not because she's a problem child; she's actually, a, generally speaking, a really easy baby, super happy baby. Mm-hmm. But the sleep deprivation adds up, which is you know she's going through her cycle; she's adapting to this new world. The stress that's placed on mum and me and our relationship and navigating that—we're both not necessarily navigating that in the best ways. But we do our best to come back to repair. We do our best to come back to have honest conversations. We do our best to nurture each other and love each other and see beyond the intensity of the moment. It's not, it's no joke that I don't know what the exact statistic is, but 70 plus percent of couples break up in the first year of having a child. Wow. That's a very high statistic, mm-hmm. man. We've moved away, slightly tangentially, but we've moved away from taking a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the issue is that we don't have enough support. And having hiring support is one thing and it's very helpful, but being actually in a village where you're in a community of people that have your best interests at heart and vice versa, we're somewhat missing that. Even though one of the, the biggest reasons we're in Austin is because of community and we have amazing community here, mm-hmm. we're still all scattered in different places, in different suburbs, 30 minutes away, 20 minutes away, mm-hmm. 10 minutes away. We're not living in compounds for lack of a better term mm-hmm. anymore. So that adds a lot of pressure and stress and, and relationships become strained that way as well. You know, we're, we're missing human contact in real meaningful ways. We're so busy in this world, mm-hmm. so busy doing and creating. And I love doing and creating. I love... Creating content, for lack of a better term, but expression and so forth. And all of that is derived from my direct experience with people. Yeah. 
Yes. With, with being in love with people and being in difficulty with people, all of it, no, not just accepting the convenient, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the pleasant, oh, when my baby's sleeping or when my wife is kind to me or when she's done something nice for me, but also when she's sleep deprived and, and snappy or when I haven't done something that she needed me to do and she's upset at me. Like, can I still love her through that? Can I still be in right relationship with that as well? Mm-hmm. This is the challenge, man. Like this is the, this is the work. Yeah. And it's I, living in the paradox and being able to flow through that, I feel, is what allows us to be fulfilled in life. It makes mm. me think of the backwards law, that you cannot have light without dark, up without down. The more you want to be loved, the more you feel unlovable. And so if we allow ourselves not to just take in the subject of the portrait, but the entire background and everything mm. that goes with that, then we're, we're able to better navigate the uncertainties and the difficulties of life and enjoy the pleasant moments, enjoy the pleasurable moments. I think there was a, a reel that I saw from you the other day that was talking about how people, they just want the pleasant thing and they don't want to deal with any of this stuff. And frankly, it's not how that works. <laughs> not in the world of duality, no, it's no. not. As long as you're asking for something, you're going to experience its opposite. And how you navigate that is the art in which you yes. bring to the yeah. conversation. And also how you navigate that determines the quality of what you receive and how you receive it as well. Mm. So I think it's it's very important to understand that what helps us recognize that that which we desire is at some level apophatically mm-hmm. realizing what we don't want and what we don't desire unconsciously and or consciously mm-hmm. and in creating distinction non-judgmental distinction or non-biased distinction between those two helps us gravitate towards that thing that we desire and I don't think there's anything wrong with desire I think when we compound desires, mm-hmm. plural, and we're, there's too many of them, I think mm-hmm. it distracts us and hurts us. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. but uh, I think there's there's desire actually propels us into new states of being as well. That's right. I've, I've looked at it. I have a framework with Zen Stoic that makes it its own philosophy, and it's a framework of intentions and delusions, mm. whereas intentions will point you back to the human experience mm. and of your direct individual experience. Mm. And delusions point you into abstraction or conceptualization of mm. the direct experience. Mm. And so one of them is discipline versus expediency. Mm. Expediency is the prioritization of gratification over meaning, whereas discipline is to be a student of something bigger than yourself and to prioritize meaning over gratification. One of the things that I see that is the way that we act out expediency is we use our desires to bypass unpleasant experience. We exploit the passions of life. We will go and drink or eat or watch TV to not feel the thing that we are facing in that moment. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things in isolation. But if we use them to exploit our emotions, that is when I find that that buildup of emotional debt comes in. Whereas if we take the time to understand it and we have the discipline to say, okay, there's something here for me because it keeps coming up. Let me learn what's going on and let me express it and out and actualize this into something meaningful for myself now and in the future. And that's where I find that I've been able to have a lot of breakthroughs in that. One, one of those actually uh, came before this, the, the current relationship that I'm in. And I remember I, I had gotten divorced in 2020 and was single for a while. And the biggest emotion that I would feel on a regular basis was loneliness. Mm. And I got to this point where I'd done a lot of work on myself. And I got to this point where I became able to be alone without being lonely. And two weeks later, I met my life partner. Mm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, of that little breakthrough that happened there. Being alone without having to, without feeling lonely. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's the art of non-attachment, right? The moment we don't need the thing, the thing presents itself to us. That's right. So my thoughts are just very beautifully what you what you shared then. I'm in just deep resonance with. How long were you married for? I was married for only a year. Okay. Yeah, COVID uh, expedited the process of interesting of that you know, being in close quarters constantly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I find that fascinating. <laughs> it's uh, it it almost reveals so much about well, so many layers to that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, when I met my wife, we first met. We moved in together the first day, so we figured out very quickly. Moved mm-hmm. in together, meaning that we we shared a hotel room and then mm-hmm. hotel rooms as mm-hmm. we were traveling, and then we lived together. Mm-hmm. So right day one, it. yeah, and so you sort of figured out very quickly, being in close proximity to each other, what that was like. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the that's the path or the way to go. Mm-hmm. I just I just find, I find human dynamics and relationships fascinating. Yeah. But to, to answer your question, I think it's really beautiful, man. I think you got yourself to a place where you're very deliberate with your awareness around who you were and who you were being, and you were very honest with yourself around. Loneliness isn't serving you in this capacity. Like it's a, it's a crux. It's a mm-hmm. it's a wound. Like what would happen if I healed that wound? Mm-hmm. At some level, you ask yourself that question. Yeah. What would happen if I healed that wound? And you got your answer. That's right. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. And, and because yeah, our fe- yeah, it is. And our fear is, oh, if I heal the wound, then I'll never be with anyone, mm-hmm. or no one will ever want me, or because I don't need to, I don't need anyone. And so we hang on to the neediness, or we hang mm-hmm. on to the the wound. But the truth of it is, that's not how it works. That's right. Yeah. I have uh, two more questions for you before we wrap up. Yeah. The first one is, what are you most excited about right now that you're doing or experiencing in life? Yeah, so from a personal perspective, um, it's really leaning deeper into my family mm-hmm. because, you know, I have a propensity to escape, mm-hmm. to want to escape. And, and this is a very difficult thing for me to, to say out loud as well, let alone, you know, in a public forum. But mm-hmm. if, if I'm not honest with it, um, and, you know, I've done enough work around it to be stable with it, so mm-hmm. that's why I can share it. But if I'm not honest with it, then, you know, we go back to what you said earlier around these these, these false ideals that we create for ourselves and for others, you know. And mm-hmm. so I just want to be really honest with – I have a when, – when, when things get difficult, I have a propensity to escape. I did it as a kid. I used TV. I used food. I would physically hide, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's in my nervous system to hide and to move away from, you mm-hmm. know. As an adult, it was, it was sex and – orgasm and and validation through women and adrenaline and travel lots of travel mm-hmm. not that i don't travel now I, I do very much it's a big value of mine but it also was a way to escape right and so now as things are difficult i find myself oh you know maybe well, why should i be married and should i should i have it should i've had a child and mm. you know you, you go through sometimes we will go through and i will go through these questions these internal questions and when I really sit with them, I'm not asking the right question. I'm asking the question out of fear. I'm mm. asking the question from an old version of myself. Mm. Because the reality is when I look at my wife and I look at my family and I look at what I have and what I'm deeply grateful for, when I look at my child, man, there's nothing that I'm so full and I'm so grateful, even if it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. Yeah. And there are layers of me that are being shed that will ask those questions and say, oh, maybe, you know, I could, I could be climbing mountains right now or I could be doing this or I could be doing that. Like the mm-hmm. grass is green or whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. And so keeping those in check is really, really important. And so I mentioned that because you asked me what am I excited about. And mm-hmm. so 
I want to be very truthful around being very excited about, you know, watching my girl grow up and, and actually excited about coming into deeper connection with my wife. Um, Not because we've been disconnected, but because connection has just been strained and difficult, Mm -hmm. right? At some level, not completely, not 100% of the time, but more difficult than it has been ever in our relationship. And so I'm excited about that and learning and growing through that Mm -hmm. as well. And so that the other part to that is that there is a shadow side of me that still comes out. Mm -hmm. And as a man and as men, it's important that we acknowledge these shadow, as a human being really, but we we acknowledge that these shadow parts are there and we don't shame them. Mm -hmm. So hence why, you know, one of the ways that we deal with shame and we, 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 we heal shame is by bringing it to the light. So that's what I'm doing here now. Mm-hmm. So with respect to my creative expression and business in, in the world and business endeavors in the world, there's a number of things that I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. Um, and I'm very grateful to be able to create in the way that I do. And so one of them is a is an ecosystem and platform that I've co-founded called Asuraya. Mm-hmm. And we're a number of things, but we're we're a community and a hub for leaders, for exceptional leaders in the world. And we are the world's first platform to unify ancient intelligence and wisdom with emerging technology to i mean essentially for the purposes of regenerating our planet and to create a better world um and we use web3 applications and web3 technologies to do so um and a number of this is what i wanted to invite you to actually oh beautiful. yeah i was like i hope this is the thing he's invited yeah. me to. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely We're private round invitations now um and it's really really powerful and really exciting on, on many fronts and many levels and the people that we have involved are just fucking epic amazing um that and then you know the work that i do in the world my coaching the, the transformative work that i do in the world with my wife as well my coaching institute um breath work for the feminine which is a monthly event that is live here in austin and then live streamed and recorded it's a women's only event um but that's a three-hour somatic immersive Beautiful. as well so that's i mean i'm really excited about the things that i'm creating in the world from that perspective too amazing Amazing. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to and very grateful for that invite and really excited about what you're doing in the world as well. It sounds amazing. And not only what you're doing and focusing on, but also the way that you're navigating through the difficult parts and doing them sometimes with grace, sometimes with a little bit more you know, frustration that might come up, but you're doing it. And I, I feel like that is the way that we navigate these uncertainties and these difficulties in life, which leads me to my next question which I like to ask all my guests on this on this particular segment of the podcast. Zen Stoic is a philosophy that aims to bring somebody towards their own personal liberation, whatever that might mean for them. But the philosophy itself is not liberation, just like the finger is pointing at the moon is not the moon. And so I always like to ask my guests when they come on here, what does it mean to you to live a liberated life? Hmm. So many responses just surging through me. It's almost like a. You ever seen uh, Bloodsport? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember when Van Damme is blindfolded and he's getting the koi out yeah. of the. Yeah, I feel like Van Damme right now. Which koi do I choose? Which koi do I choose? Be a reference for you older folk. Uh, how old are you? If you remember me asking, 31. 31. Yeah. You're young and you still love Bloodsport. Yeah. Awesome. That one was my heart, brother. That one yeah, was I my saw heart. it very young, but I still loved it. Yeah, yeah, that one was my heart. Um, so for those of you that don't know, you should watch it. Um, the thing that keeps coming back to me that keeps circulating in my mind is this not not being dictated by our pain, mm-hmm. right? In other words, 
our hypervigilance, the protective strategies, the defensive strategies that we create in in the presence of conflict or trauma or difficulty that then orientate us towards being extra safe, aka hypervigilant. And when we can liberate ourselves from that, when we can heal that and expand through that and close the trauma loop physiologically and learn to regulate our nervous systems and be more adaptive and resilient in the world, I believe that is a strong precursor to lending itself towards liberation, whatever that may be for mm-hmm. an individual. Mm-hmm. At least psycho-emotional relational liberation. Amazing. Yeah. Steph, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you? And uh, Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, uh, on social media, uh, um, at Stefanos Safandos and my website, stefanosafandos.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Path. Thanks, brother.